should you look at KPIs? 100%. But also understand that your job is to consistently get the most out of your people. And I think to do that, you have to start focusing on the person and creating that high-performance environment before you start worrying about the numbers. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin, I have something for you. Have you not read Only Tens 2.0 yet? If you've been listening to the show, my guess is you have read it. Would you like to give away a copy to someone you care about, someone who's struggling with time and energy management, someone who needs to focus on the important things? Well, if you go to markjsilverman.com, click on the red resource buttons, we have put a free copy of Only Tens 2.0 for you to download, and you can upload it onto your electronic device of choice. I hope you enjoy. So for me, leadership coaches and speakers are kind of a dime a dozen. You can throw a rock in any direction and find someone who looks good in a suit and quotes Simon Sinek and tells you to have a morning routine. And there you go. You're a leader. My next guest is a little or a lot different because what he does is he gives you instructions on how to be a better leader immediately in his new book and in in his talks and everything that he does. He actually leads by example and teaches you step-by-step. That's why I want to have him on the program. But the cool thing is while doing research on Brian Souza, I found out that we're kindred spirits. And as we go into the podcast, you're going to learn a little bit more about him. So let me give you the official bio so you know who he is. Brian Souza is the CEO and founder of Productivity Drivers, an innovative sales leadership coaching and training firm specializing in world-class high-performance sales leaders, teams, and organizations. His clients include Google, ServiceNow, where I worked, SAS Institute, Boeing, Wells Fargo. It goes on and on and on. He lives in San Diego with his beautiful wife and his two daughters and his dog. And he's the author of the book we may talk about, we'll talk around, The Weekly Coaching Conversation. And the book that I'm really kind of excited about that I didn't even know about until last week is Become who you were born to be. Both of these are just really good reads. And my job is to convince you to go buy them and read them because they're, we can't even cover it on the podcast. But Brian, thanks for being here with me. Thank you, my friend. Great to be here. I just so appreciate you. I, I appreciate the fact that when you speak, when you write, whenever you, whenever you address people, they walk away with actionable items and very specific things to do. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's one thing to inspire. It's one thing to motivate. But at the end of the day, nothing happens unless something moves. Right. So it has to be actionable. And I think that's the key is you have to speak, you know, speak to the heart, you know, touch on the head, but you have to give them something actionable that they can take away and actually implement and start that journey towards leadership that we're all on. True. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw a little curveball at you. Usually, usually the question I ask people is, you know, why do you care about this subject? Like, why do you get on stages? Why do you build a company to teach leadership and and that kind of thing? But I'm actually going to shift gears on you. And this is from your book. For the first time, I became aware that my maniacal focus on driving results and getting things done had unintentional consequences. Sure. I wanted to succeed, but at what cost? I got choked up at that because I live this every day. I have conversations like this every day. And what I love is your job is to help sales leaders 
succeed. So you're in that maniacal world of results, but for some reason, you wanted to do it and teach it differently. Can you tell me about that shift for yourself? Well, it really goes back. I mean, as you know, it really goes back to my story. So I think just a very long, very, very long story short, you know, I grew up from humble beginnings, put myself through school, studied international business, went up to Silicon Valley in the mid nineties, started with Netscape during the initial dot-com 1.0 boom, right? And it was a great ride. And I went to a number of early stage companies, one of which was a company, Akamai Technologies, who I'm sure you've heard of, and you know, just had a lot of great responsibility. High tech is one of those unique things, as you know, being in high tech, it's a unique sort of Petri dish where you can put these young professionals in these leadership positions with a ton of responsibility they're not ready for, right? And so one day, you know, as I rose the rank, I think I was promoted four times in, in two years, managing a third of the company's business, all the while trying to maintain the dot-com crash. It just kind of set in. My wife was at, at, at Yahoo at the time. And it was one of those things it's I've always, and by the way, as a, as a, as a background, my team was number one, you know, worldwide getting the award, going back to the fable. I don't want to ruin it, but you know, in the, in the, the weekly coaching conversation, it's a leadership fable. It, it's a fun fable. It takes place in a dive bar between Brad and coach. Well, at the time I was Brad. Right. And so it was one of those moments where by all material measures, right. Had the beautiful house in Silicon Valley, had the European vacations, had all the toys, had the ego satiated, all this stuff. But I was like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I was climbing, so busy climbing the ladder, trying to get the next rung. I realized that it was leaning against the wrong building. And so during that time, it was one of those moments where my wife and I were actually on in Austria on vacation. And she was at Yahoo at the time. And we said, you know what, what are we doing? We're, you know, in our late twenties, early thirties and so much response. We've done this, but this has, there has to be more, you know, we're not, we're tired of sacrificing so much for so little at the end of the day. And so that kind of put wheels in motion where I ultimately quit my job. We went on a worldwide sabbatical with a flight booked into Lisbon, Portugal, a flight home from Istanbul, Turkey, three months later, not knowing what we're going to do in between. And that kind of put me on this course towards sort of this introspective journey, which ultimately culminated me writing, become who you're born to be. We all have a gift. Have you discovered yours? And honestly, Mark, it's, it's one of those things that I've always had this, this, this feeling that I was put on this earth to make a positive difference in people's lives. And I realized at the time I was just either too dumb or too naive to realize that being a manager or better yet, a leader is the perfect platform to do just that. And so with the weekly coaching conversation, ironically, my story has come full circle because if I would have known back then what I know now, right? If I would have known about this new management approach, we call the coach. And if I would have access to all the new strategies, the mindset, the skill set, and the system and all these tools, I probably never would have quit that job. Yeah, you would have been. So, I say that all the time. If I had all the skills I had now as a coach and the maturity and, and knowing who I am, like the maniacal sales manager calls wouldn't have bothered me, right? I would have been able to do it in a, in a different way and and maybe kept my uh, 401k and have someone else pay my American Express instead of being an entrepreneur. Totally get it. That's it. That's it. And it's and it's one of those things that, that you know you were going to say that you initially start with why do you do what you do, you know. This is, is, it's more than just a business. And I've been at this for over, you know, a decade and just had an opportunity to impact literally tens of thousands of people and th thousands of managers at these companies, because this journey that I'm talking about, right? In the fable, as you, as you know, it's not just something I've studied academically and experienced professionally, but I've lived it personally. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things like you and I have mentors and coaches. We were talking about Tom Mendoza being one of yours. He's one of mine and, and, and a friend has chatted with him last week, an amazing guy, Dave Schneider, personal friend, mentor of mine was the first to endorse my book. ServiceNow is my first client. So I mean, these world-class leaders, we have the benefit of learning from them later in our career. And so what I'm on a mission to do is how can I pull out those bits of wisdom, 
that they have, right? And sort of put it in a simple to understand, easy to apply format. So the new generation of leaders don't have to wait 20, 30 years to become that world-class coach. Yeah. Let me just slow you down and go back to that moment where you realized that your ladder was against the wrong building. You had the drive, you had the focus, right? You have the passion, but you're just not, it's, it's not fulfilling. That's a scary moment for a lot of people, especially like when I figured it out, I had an ex-wife who was getting a ton of money every month, two kids that needed to go to college, elderly parents I was taking care of. And I'm like, I'm against the wrong building. I was born to do something different and I knew what it was to be. And that just, just contemplating taking our hands off the wheel and looking at what else might be for us is too terrifying for people to even contemplate. How do you help people even think about it? Well, I think implicit, are you, are you talking about a career change or getting out of corporate America? Or I guess, is it, what, what, what so, do you, you know, like, I don't, I don't even know that people, like I, I joke about the coaching industry. I have a love hate relationship with the coaching sure. industry. And I'll joke with people that most coaches will say, what is your bliss? What is your passion? What should you go be mm-hmm. doing? And my people will just give me the middle finger and say, I've got a mortgage. I got elderly parents. I have employees who count on me. And oh, by the way, I kind of like what I do, but I don't want to kill myself. But most people won't even stop to listen, to think about, because they're afraid that maybe they should be doing something else or in the wrong job. And they may not be, they just need to do it differently. And it's really hard to get them just to take a look because the the treadmill is running so fast that they'll just trip up. That's it. I just made a note here. I think one of the fundamental problems I think is that we're so, as a society, right, in general, and certainly in the high tech industry, but as a society in general, I think we're so, we're so focused on making a living instead of designing a life. We're so focused on making a living instead of designing a life, right? We're so focused on getting that next in high tech, that next besting data, or we're so focused on getting that next promotion, or we're so focused on getting that next material thing that we don't realize at some point we're going to be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, and we're going to all have that rocking chair test. When we look back on our life and we reflect on our life and say, what was it all for? Did it really matter? Did I matter? And I think if we start with that premise and understand and sort of start as Stephen Covey would say, start with the end in mind and reflect back and say, am I on the right course? Am I in the vicinity of using my, I believe, God-given talents to make a positive difference in people's lives? Am I happy? Am I, am I balanced? But I think that's the, that's the key takeaway is when people understand that if they just can take that moment and hit the pause button and reflect, as you said, just take a moment and it could be a weekend away. It could be just a couple of hours. It could be a hike out, out, you know, outside or a walk or a run, but just ask the question, go internally. I call it introspective questions and just kind of reflect because as you know, as well as I, I mean, I had my midlife crisis at 30, right? So <laughs> that kind of put me off on this course, right? And I think wherever people are on their journey, at some point it's going to hit us all. And, you know, I know the title of your, of your podcast, which is amazing. Why I love it is mastering midlife. I don't know that you ever master it, it's just a series of these sort of imperceptible. Yeah, but, it, but it's these course corrections, right? I think it starts with that envision in mind, right? When I'm, when I'm 80, 90, looking back on my life and my career, what do I want to have people say about me? How do I want to impact people? My family, my friends, my community, my former colleagues, my coworkers, my team members. And I think when you start, it, it helps you clarify your values and it helps really get clarity on that true north, what true north is for you. What, what it is for you, Mark, is different than it is for me. Right. But it's important for folks, I think, to, t- to take that moment and pause and understand what their true north is. And they don't have to go off the deep end like I did and quit their job and go on the sabbatical. I don't advise that. It was, it was I, a I tell you the great. same thing. Please don't do what I did. Yeah, I, I, I made every mistake known to man, right? 
So don't do what I do, right? But you, there is a way you can get in the vicinity of doing what it is I believe you were born to do. It's interesting. When I was when I was selling, selling was always hard on me. I'm a rabid introvert. I'm not highly competitive, although you know people describe me as highly competitive. I don't think of myself that way. But one of the traits I found out, one my innate gift is connection, is connecting with mm. people. And when I started looking at sales from my gift, so I wasn't I wasn't going to work a territory the way some of my contemporaries did. I wasn't maniacally focused on success. I wasn't you know, scared of all this. I had different motivations. When I realized that my gift was connection, mm. I sold as much as anybody else who was much worked harder or or was more sharky than I was. Every CIO I ever worked with, every CTO I ever worked with, whenever I had a new technology, they would always give me a meeting because I had a connection. Whether or not I could sell them something was always to be seen, but I could get that first meeting. So you can take your gift and put it into what you're doing. And one of the things you talk about is how do you put passion into your profession? So I'm curious, how do you how do you help people? So they're 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 a sales leader in a really fast growing company. How do they find that passion and bring it into what they're already doing? Well, I think it's alignment, right? And I think, frankly, I think it's incumbent upon us as sales leaders to help with that alignment, right? All too often, I think I'm always asked a question, you know, whether it's talking on stage in front of you know thousands of sales leaders or just a one on one conversation with the CRO, but it's how do I motivate my people, right? And the assumption is comp. Let's let's spiff them. Let's let's focus on the numbers. Let's let's throw more money at them. When, as you know, I mean, there's two types of motivation. There's extrinsic motivation, which is externally motivated, which is more comp recognition, those kind of things. And then there's intrinsic motivation, and that's that deeper form of motivation that comes from within oneself. And I think what we have to do as leaders is to help get to know our people and understand what makes them tick. Get to know their backgrounds, their 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 passions, their desires, their fears, their their aspirations, what they want to do in life, what their gifts are, and then help them put them in a position where they can exercise those gifts. Because I think ultimately that's the, that's the nirvana, right? Is when you have the organizational goals and people development goals are in complete alignment. And I think the leader, that manager, plays an important critical role in that process. So you know, when, while I was reading your book about the weekly coaching conversation and those small shifts that you can do to go from a manager to a leader, from a manager to a coach. I was thinking about something that happened in my career at one of the tech companies I worked at. I had made club two years in a row. The third year we were all struggling. And remember that time we were all, we were all struggling and I was still ahead of my number, you know, like, like ahead of other people as far as percentage goal, but I wasn't doing well. And Every week, my my sales manager was just destroying me every week with how I was doing, how I was following up, everything that I was doing. And I finally, I walked into his office and I said, I, I, I quit. I'm giving my resignation. And he goes, why? And I said, because I suck at this job. And he goes, whatever gave you that idea? I said, you every day. <laughs> and he said, and I still remember this. And he said, I was just trying to motivate you. <laughs> I said, well, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. But you know, a little secret, it didn't work. You know, I, and, I, and I wound up staying and making goal and going to club again. And he did shift. He did change. But he was the same guy as, you know, because you talked about in the book, when your people said to you, you know, you're a really good guy outside of work. Yeah. I remember that moment when they said, yeah. you know, you're, and you sat in front of the mirror and you was like, what the hell was that? Right, that, that made you stand up and say, "Who am I at work versus who am I outside of work?" This guy was also wonderful outside of work, but then you know they think they have to, you know, everything's a nail and they have to be a hammer. So let's start, let's start talking about shifting from managing to coaching. What are some of the first steps that, especially new leaders, need to learn in order to really be in tune with their team? 
Well, I think, I think you just touched on it, Mark. I think it starts with a mindset shift, right? I think that there's a concept called self-deception, which basically means you have a problem, but the real problem is that you don't realize you have a problem. Especially if you're making your numbers. A lot gets covered over if you're making your numbers. 100%. Now, implicit in that, there's a whole lot of things, right? For sales leaders, how are we really evaluating performance, right? Is this team really number one worldwide? Or there's number one because you have a do-it-all manager that parachutes in in the bottom of the ninth and parach- in cherry picks the big deals and closes them when 70% of their team members are failing. So there's a whole lot to discuss in this. But I think to your point, I think to answer your question, you know, how I think it starts with awareness and more specifically self-awareness. It's realizing that how you perceive your management approach is probably very, very different than how your team members perceive your management approach. Mm. And so this is, I, this is where three, this is where 360 feedback loops are really, really good when you have someone come in and actually talk to your team anonymously and get that feedback so you can figure out where your strengths and weaknesses lie. A hundred percent, Mark. But, but it's, I mean, you can do that certainly. And I advise, it's always a great idea. Hey, I make money at it. So I got, I got, yeah. I got to plug it. <laughs> but it's also, uh, it's also, you know, informal, right? I think there's a, there's a whole framework we have with the weekly coaching conversation training program, right? So you have the mindset, the skill set, and the system. But before you can do all that, before you can start this journey, you have to create a high-performance environment that's conducive to coaching. And so I think so much of management today is just focused on the numbers. Crack the whip, more numbers, do more, do more, do more. There's the people side to management and the process side to management. And the people side to management, they need to understand their management approach. They need to create an environment that's conducive to coaching. And so it could even be just having that conversation with your team members. I call it have a pull the weeds conversation I talk about in the book, you know, get to know your people and understand how their perception is of you and your management approach. Be more specific though about what, what do you mean by pull the weeds? Well, in other words, I, I think in every relationship in, in a company and in, in between a, a manager and, and his or her team member or subordinate, there are some issues, right? There's some, some, some landmines, some, some potholes, some, some things that are not being spoken, not being said. And that is getting in the way of that manager being able to influence his or her team and getting them to do what they what he or she wants them to do, right? You can tell them what to do all the time. I hear this all the time. I'm telling my people what to do. I'm showing the data. I'm showing the dashboards. I'm showing them what to do. They're just not doing it, right? Well, your goal, your job as, a, as that manager is to help shape those behaviors and help to get them to do what it is that they're supposed to do. So I think when you get to know your people and and develop that relationship with them and invest in them and understand and have a specific conversation. This could be a a tactical takeaway, right? It could be an hour conversation. I know it's difficult over Zoom, but it's especially important over Zoom, right? Because there's no connection, right? It's it's everything's super, everything's remote and people are feeling disconnected. So schedule a one-on-one, schedule one-on-one with each team member and just ask questions. How are you doing? Understand their perception of you and your management approach. What can I do to help you? Just have an off-the-record conversation, not about their performance, but about them as a person. Get to know them so they can feel that you actually have their best interest in mind. And I think when you invest in them, when you put more into your people, you get more out of your people. And I think that's this mindset shift I talk about with this journey. As you know about the framework, there's the nice guy manager, the do-it-all manager, the micromanager, and this elite world-class leader of high-performance teams we call the coach. And that's that first step is that mindset, understanding the more you give, the more you get the more you care, the more they contribute. And so I think that's that leadership journey that, that these leaders we talked about that you and I get to talk about all the time and teach now that we understand that unfortunately, a lot of these frontline managers just don't get. It's not just about the numbers. It's about the people. If you focus on the people and care about the person, the performance will take care of itself.
Yeah, it's funny. I had one one of my CEOs, really, really successful, really good guy, but he he didn't have that kind of relationship with the people who worked for him. So his job was, you know, that week to go have five personal conversations with people in his organization. He's like, "What do you mean five? Like, what?" And he started arguing with me, like, "What do you? What do you? What am I going to talk about?" And I said, "I just, you are wonderful. You're a personable guy. Just go and sit and have a cup of coffee with five people and get to know them." He came back the next week. He was like. Oh my God, I learned this and this and this. And it was amazing. And I know this about this person. This motivates this person. This person was having issues with productivity. And now I know why. And I can help them with that. And it was amazing. And something, a simple tweak like that changes the game for the organization, especially from the leadership. 100%. 100%. As, as you know, so much we, we think of this in terms of management, but you have to understand there's two sides to management there's the process side. Right, which steals all the hard skills, the planning, the scheduling, the deal review, the forecast, all of these kinds of things, the QBRs. But then there's the people side. And most managers are pretty good at the process side, the management. The people side, they don't know. And the reason they don't know is they've never been taught the right approach. And so as you're talking about, when you invest in your people and you get in your head and you understand in that mindset that you know you really need to invest in your people and get the most out of them and create this environment that's conducive to performance then they'll start to perform for you. And I think, as you said, it's just, it shouldn't be a one and done kind of thing. It needs to be integrated into that operational rhythm and cadence, just that one-on-one conversation you're having with your people. There was a quote from your book that I meant to write down and I didn't write down, but it was, a, it was, it was talking about good leaders will take mediocre people and exceed their goals every time or almost always. And mediocre managers look for the best people. And I'm trying now. I'm now I'm all yeah. I'm screwing it up. And I wrote it down on a different piece of paper. But basically, you know, leaders being responsible for their team, whether they get have the best people or not, it's their job to get the most out of and and make the team the best it can possibly be, rather than hoping to have the you know the star on the t- you know the the eighty percent versus twenty percent. Right. That's it. I mean, it gets down to the to the to your point. I think it, it has to do with you know realizing that talent isn't just something you acquire; it's also something you develop. Right. And a quick, quick story on that. So I haven't just worked with, I grew up in high tech. So most of my clients are high tech companies and, and what have you, but I also have a number of different clients, right? American Eagle Outfitters. I mean, in and out Burger, I saw in and out So I'm going to tell you a quick story on in and out So trained all 1300 of their managers and they're an amazing company, right? I don't know if, you know, if you've been in and out, they're big on the West coast or kind of starting to go East coast, but I'm I mean, a five, never- I'm, a fi- I'm sorry if they're listening, I'm a five guys guy, but I'm on all the right, all right. East coast and the first five guys was right here. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, it's probably the same thing, right? At lunchtime or certainly on the weekends. I mean, the lines are out the door. Like it's not just a burger joint. I mean, these people operate like a formula one pit crew, right. From a performance perspective. So they wanted me to, they brought me in and hired me to sort of take the team's performance to the next level. Right. And so I had an opportunity to spend a, a considerable chunk of time interviewing their best of the best store managers. And I won't go into all the details, but one that I had time to spend with was this guy named Jaime. And so Jaime was at a store and he was a top performing manager at one store. And they took this other store that was only in like the 30th percentile. So they were underperforming significantly. And I said, Jaime, all right, we know your store is performing great, but you know, we need you over here at this other store because it's underperforming. And he's like, okay. So he took the job and he goes in there and everyone, including the upper management, everyone around him was expecting him to clean house. As you say, these are all slackers. They're all BNC players. Look at their number, look at their performance. They're not measuring. Let me, let me cut the Fisher cut bait. Let me get rid of them and bring in my own people. Right. But he didn't do that. The first thing he did, and there's 122 associates, he took time and had a one-on-one conversation with him. And the very first thing he was primed with in his mind, he went in with the question, the mindset that said, I want to go in there and 
I want them, to, the, the question I want, the, I want to get out of them is how can I show them, how can I help them love in and out as much as I do? What can I do to help make their jobs easier? So we had this conversation with him. He established that connection. He only had to replace a few people that weren't on board. Within 12 months, he went from that store being, I think it was performing at 100, rank 133rd out of uh, 200 and some odd out of stores to being number seven within 12 or 13 months. The store on all cylinders was firing in all cylinders. And the reason why it started with that heart and that mindset you talk about. It's always the leader. It's just always the leader. It's the leader, but it's all, it's a hundred percent, but it's also not just focusing on the results. It's understanding if you focus on the people and if you care about them and if you're investing in them and they're, don't worry about employee satisfaction or employee engagement, focus on team member loyalty, focus on creating the type of environment, type of bond where your greatest fear is that you'll let them down. So I think when Jaime and these other world-class coaches, when you understand that mindset and have that skill set and a systematic approach to doing it, that's the difference. That is the difference between these elite world-class leaders of high-performance teams and most mediocre managers out there. We talked about this with Tom Mendoza on the, on the show when he was here, that NetApp was maniacally focused on the people, right? And then have the people take care of the customers, have the people take care of the partners, have the people take care of, then the stock price will take care of itself. Right. And I remember it lacking in, as I went from company to company, the stark difference when it was maniacally focused on the number, when it was managed by the spreadsheet. And then I went to Dave Domain and with Dave Schneider and Frank, Frank Slootman and Kevin Haverty and all the, you know, John Small and the people we were t- talking about. Again, it was, I, I was cared about like what I did. And I did so well there because it was, that's the kind of environment I could thrive in. Then, of course, it was bought by EMC and everything changed again. Yeah. So I, I've seen it all through my career when the leadership is focused on developing the people, the results are, are through <clears throat> the roof. When they're not, everybody's grumbly and everybody's grumbly. Everybody does the word work. They're successful, but it's grudgingly and it's and and it's short lived. Hundred percent. I, I mean, as you as you point out, I mean that's the thing. These guys, the Tom Mendoza, the Dave Schneiders, the Kevin Haverty's, you know, these guys understand that that most people don't, right? And they've had a lot of them. It just they weren't that way in their twenties or thirties as a frontline manager. They've had to learn it. Hopefully, that, that most of them had a mentor or a coach that sort of showed them the route, the way. And so you're hundred percent right. It does start at that leadership level right? In terms of the culture, but it's also something that even a frontline manager can adopt regardless of the culture of the organization. Instead of focusing on the culture, focus on your immediate environment. I've seen 25 year old managers show leadership skills and and interest in their people. If it's in there, you can do it. hundred percent. And one of of the things I work with a lot of high growth SaaS companies, a lot of unicorns that are scaling, right? So worked with ServiceNow back in 2013. I think they were a couple hundred million ARR, right? And it was in Dave and, and Kevin were like, how, how, do, how can you impose or how can we create the type of management philosophy that I have through the organization as it scales? That's one of the most challenging parts. And that's something that they run into, right? It's the leader at the top through their actions can influence that. But I think that they have to look down to that, sec- that second line, third line, first line manager and make sure that there's continuity between the management philosophy, that there's continuity in their, the management approach, how the organization approaches the people side to management, right? But to your point, this is one of the problems I think now where there's so much data, there's so many reports and there's so much that everyone is so obsessively focused on the metrics, the KPIs, the data that they completely lose sight of the person. And I think there needs to be a balance. Should you look at KPIs? hundred percent, but also understand that your job is to consistently get the most out of your people. And I think to do that, you have to start focusing on the person and creating that high performance environment before you start worrying about the numbers. And you know what the unintentional benefit of that is? 
I think, and what I'm focused on is longevity and career. What I'm, what I, what I focus on is, you know, the people that I work with and I coach don't want to leave the game. They love the game. They just don't want them to kill them. Right. What I find is if you're, if your job is to develop your people, to create leaders, to create successful people and help people's lives and really care about people, I think you can stay in the game longer. I think you get satisfaction. Again, I'm going to go back to Tom Mendoza. You know, in retirement, people are calling Tom Mendoza. He's got he's got a network of people who care about him and keep him vibrant, right? And I think that that satisfaction just helps you be go for the long haul in the, in in a really stressful game. That's exactly right. I think it starts again, starting with the end in mind. It's that rocking chair test. Like when you, when you sort of reflect and look back on your life and understand that each and every day you go into the office or virtually now interact with your team, you have an opportunity to make an impact on their life. You have an opportunity to, to have, to craft one more little piece of the mosaic of your career and your life. And I think it's more than just the numbers, but I think that that is ultimately the sign of a true world-class coach, right? It's where people will, you know, burn, you know, run into a burning bill and they'll run through a wall for you. And there is a way to consistently hit those numbers and perform at a high level while still caring about your people and investing your people. But that's what fascinated me. And that's what really put me off on this journey 20 plus years ago, right? It was, I didn't know that. I was so focused on the numbers and by the numbers I was succeeding, but I didn't understand there was this whole different approach that folks knew. And it was kind of this, you know, it was more of an art form that, that no one had really figured out and kind of distilled down. And I think that's what, I'm, that's what gets me so excited is, is the difference, the subtle differences that can happen, a change that can happen in a day or in a week, once that breakthrough happens in that manager's mindset, right? Once they raise their hand and say, look, I'm kind of more of a do-it-all manager, or I'm a nice guy manager, or you know what? I'm kind of a micromanager. I'd like to be more of a coach. That's when we start the journey. And that's when the magic starts to happen, when they understand that leadership development starts with personal development, right? Before you focus on your people, look in the mirror and focus on what you should do to improve. And then your team's performance will follow. I say the same thing about time management systems all the time. The problem is, you know, time man- all the time management systems work. All of them actually work. But the problem is, is our commitment. You know, we only do, the truth is we only do what we want to do. We don't do what we don't want to do. And no time management program is going to make us do what we don't want to do. So we're yeah. getting honest with ourselves. Once we get honest with ourselves, then you can use whatever program that you want. Same thing with leadership. If you don't do the work inside, you're not going to be interested in people. If you're in fight or flight and scared all the time, if you haven't figured out a way to be comfortable in your own skin, it's going to be hard to connect with other people. So doing that work on themselves, which is is, you know, what I do all day, every day is essential for leadership skills, that internal leadership, the self-leadership, and then that trickles down to the people that work for you. So I, I think every leader should buy a case of your books or a hundred of your books now forever and send them out and then have you come in and speak to their organization and transform the whole thing. A lot of my people won't read. They want to watch videos. And I know on your website, you some a lot of what's in your book, don't you have a course on your website for people? Yeah. So, so we have a full curriculum online that's, you know, we've developed with a number of large companies. So there's the, the manager curriculum course, there's the team member curriculum course. So yeah, lots of different tools and, and ways to, to find and go deeper. I'm doing, as you know, on LinkedIn a lot. So if they want to connect, please feel free to reach out, reach out to me and I'll be happy to give you a free ebook copy, even if, you know, ping me. And I, I'm just, you know, I'm just passionate about getting the message out. I just want to really serve and help and ping me on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to send you a free ebook copy. You can give it a read. And if you want to go deeper, you know, there's lots of uh, online courses we can offer for you. 
And I'm going to put your website in the show notes so that people can go there because I, these online programs are just so useful, especially in this time. And then if they, if they can get you in to get everybody together, it would be a really cool way to transform things. Brian, thank you, one, for your, your own midlife crisis at 30 years old. Thank you for sharing your gifts and being so vulnerable and honest with everything, especially in the books. There were moments in both books where I just paused, where you, where you, you know, told the truth of what's going on in your life and how that shifted you that people can relate to. So I really urge people to buy the book. But thank you again. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for the good work you do. To everybody else, I appreciate your precious time and attention. I love you. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.